Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is the 12th of May. It's also Friday, Friday, Friday. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm so thrilled that you have chosen to share your precious time with me today. Um, I count it an absolute privilege. I know there are a million other things you could be doing, and my guess is you're at least doing one other thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like I am confident in saying you are a multitasker and you're multitasking right now, which is totally fine. I'm a multitasker as well. Um, But the only other task before me right now, other than talking with you, is um, periodically sipping on a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. That's my multitasking task right now. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 32 verses 10 and 11. I'm going to ask this question before I read it. When was the last time you just gave a shout out to the Lord? You know, just like a praise the Lord or a hallelujah or a, I I don't know, maybe you, maybe you have a shout out that you render unto God um, in times and places from time to time. Um, When was the last time you just gave a shout out to the Lord? How might your day be changed? How might the environment around you be changed today? If, I don't know, at some point you just gave a shout out to the Lord. Yeah, I think I'm going to try it out. All right, Psalm 32, verses 10 and 11. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy. All you whose hearts are pure. So uh, I'm going to declare today, shout out to the Lord day. And love for you to give the Lord a shout out at some point today and then report back in how that went. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I want. I want reports from the field about little shout outs to the Lord. All right. And then I want to talk about um, or share with you this really fun story out of New Jersey. This is probably not making the headline news anywhere, by the way, but um, it made my news feed. And so I'm sharing it with you. Um, there is a New Jersey school that organized a lost and found day and you know it's kind of close to the end of the school year so you know lost and found day kind of fun bring everything from lost and found have a school-wide assembly and like hold up things like this water bottle and then the you know the kid comes forward and claims his water bottle this t-shirt you know da, da, da. okay you, you get the idea right um so um the principal says all right we have we have one more lost and found item um this one you know is actually uh been been away for you know i don't know like more than a year more than a year anybody have something that you know they haven't they ha- they know is theirs but they haven't seen for more than a year you know like nobody's like silent you know people are like fidgeting like what what and then through the middle of the curtain comes this army ranger and he's got a bouquet of flowers in his hands and like no i mean like people are like you know kind of half responding but nobody knows who it is except obviously this kid's mom who hasn't seen him for a year lost and found. And I thought this, you know, this is wonderful. This is a great story. 
It's so precious. Lost and found day. I kind of love that. Could you organize a lost and found day? Um, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's, that's Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus tells three parables in Luke 15. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And every single one of those ends with this rejoicing, this don't forget the joy when that which is lost is found. So I want us to celebrate today. I want us to rejoice in the Lord and be glad because we have been found. And if you haven't let yourself be found yet, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Aren't you tired of hiding? Don't you want to be found? There will be great rejoicing in heaven when you allow yourself to be found by the one who came to seek you with his love. His name is Jesus, and I want you to know him. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, our friend George Barna is back. You remember we're covering information that they are learning at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. So you can always find what we're talking about at arizonachristian.edu backslash cultural research. And I'll send you the link directly if you just text me 877-933-2484. All right, George, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Good to be with you. It's great to have you. So I have read this report, How Faith Has Shifted Since the Start of the Pandemic, and I think maybe I'm just going to let you paint the picture. Um, What emerges from the findings of your research on this topic? Well, this is interesting to me because this is the first study that we've had essentially since the, the pandemic's been shut down. And so in going back and comparing it to the study that we did just before the pandemic started up, we get a pretty good measure of what impact did the pandemic have on people's faith. And as context for looking at this, let me also say, you know, as a sociologist, we study all kinds of things. And, and, you know, my thing, of course, would be faith and culture and how things change, what causes the change. And one of the things that we know is that people's religious beliefs are one of the most stable things that we measure. They don't change much at all, if at all, over the course of time. So when you see any kind of significant changes, it really kind of wakes you up and and you have to say, whoa, what's going on here? What caused that? Now, when we look at what's taken place in the last three years, what we know is that we've seen some of the biggest changes in faith measures that frankly I've seen in my lifetime, or or at least as my career, in my career as a a measurement guy, a person who for more than 40 years now has been measuring changes in faith and, and culture and the applications of faith. So it raises the question, why? Why are we seeing big changes? And the only times that we really see significant changes are in response to one of two things. One, pain. Two, mm. crisis. And you could argue that crisis 
is pain. So maybe it's really only one thing, depending on how you want to define it. But I think certainly what we're seeing is that for many people, most people in America, frankly, the pandemic represented a major crisis in their life. And so they went back and tried to re-examine a lot of the foundations of how they were living, why they were living in particular ways, why they believed certain things. And for many other people, it was not only a crisis, but it really did deliver personal, deep, in some cases, lasting or permanent pain. And so all of these things have triggered some really significant changes in our faith. Yeah, I think um, part of that pain and part of that crisis is death became much more real and and came home. And so I think that's a, a huge part of this post-pandemic conversation as well. When you look at the numbers, when you talk about the findings, you know, a data point is just a point and it doesn't tell us anything. Um, but two or three data points and we start to see a picture. And so tell me about the 42-point drop. First of all, a 42-point drop sounds like a lot. Tell me about the 42-point drop in born-again believers who, following the pandemic, um, do not view themselves as having a unique God-given calling or purpose for life. I mean, it's a pretty extraordinary data point. Can you put it into context for us? (laughs) I really wish I could. I mean, it shocked the daylights out of me. You know, I look at that, and and basically the numbers are back in 2020 when uh, we did the measure, trying to figure out if people believe that they have a unique God-given purpose or calling in life. Nine out of 10 born-again adults, 88%, said they did. Not surprising. You know, we didn't even make a note of that in our 2020 releases. It's like, well, of course they do. But then you jump three years down the line after all the COVID uh, adventures took place, and it drops from 88% to 46%. So you got number one, a 42% uh, 42 percentage point drop, as you noted, which is certainly one of the single biggest, if not the single biggest dip that I've ever seen in the attitudes or behaviors of born-again Christians. And secondly, now you're at a point where less than half of all born-again Christians say, yeah, God has given me a unique purpose or calling in life, and and that's what I'm devoting myself to. So, you know, I mean, when you look at all the things that are happening in our culture right now, some as a result of COVID, some as a result of other things, what you have is a, na- a nation that's in flux. People are confused. People are scared. People are wondering what life is all about. And for people who don't necessarily call themselves born again, who but who we call born again because they say, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven, but only because I've confessed my sins and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. So that has remained stable for these people. They know where they're going to wind up. But between now and then, they really don't understand what's going on. They looked at COVID. They they don't get it. We know from other research we've been doing with this group that they're looking at government. They don't get it. They're looking at their family life. They don't get it. You know, they're, they're really trying to make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And so... 
to me, this goes back to the, the fact that seven out of eight born-again Christians, while they, they believe they know where they're going after they die, they don't really understand what's going on in this life because their worldview is such a mess. Seven out of eight of them do not have a biblical worldview. Almost seven out of eight of them have syncretism as their dominant. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about specifically that issue and that concern and that um, confusion. But can we take a super brief break, George? Would that be okay? Yeah. All right. We're talking with George Barna, and we're talking about how the faith of Americans has shifted since the start of the pandemic. We're honing in on believers, born-again Christians, um, because there have been really dramatic shifts in what they say about themselves in terms of belief and behavior. And George and I are going to come back with a conversation about syncretism. Do you even know what that is? Are you a syncretist? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. Returning to our conversation now with Dr. George Barna. George, um, syncretism, what role does it play in this conversation about the shifting self-reporting in terms of belief and behavior, particularly among born-again Christians? Um, So might I be a syncretist or how would I know? Well, chances are most of the people that are listening, frankly, are syncretists and don't realize it because it's not something we talk about. It's not something that is best I can find. There has been a book written about it. Although when you write about what Americans believe and do, essentially you're writing about syncretism because most Americans have embraced syncretism as their dominant worldview. So if, again, if we look at the changes from 2020 to 2023, pre and post pandemic, we've had a nation shift its worldview where 88% were syncretists back in 2020, 94% are today. And syncretism, for those unfamiliar with it, is basically where you don't embrace any specific worldview, any one particular worldview. Instead, what you do is you pick and choose elements from many different worldviews, things that you think make sense, things that feel comfortable, things that seem popular, and you take those ideas, those concepts, those beliefs and behaviors, and you embrace them as part of who you are, part of how you live. And the challenge with this, well, there are many challenges, but one of them is that what it means is that you're probably always feeling a little bit anxious about life because your worldview is the thing that helps you make sense out of life. But syncretism in and of itself, by definition, doesn't make sense. Why? Because what you're doing is you're taking bits and pieces, you're taking different elements from competing philosophies of life, and you're blending them together into your own personal, customized philosophy of life. And the chances are really, really good that you've got elements of your worldview that 
don't make sense when you put them together or try to put them together. They compete with each other. They conflict with each other. And so you've always got a little bit of internal dissonance mm-hmm. about yourself and the world and how things are clicking for you. They're not clicking because the things that you've embraced don't make sense. So this is what Americans have moved towards during the turbulence of the pandemic. It's unfortunate. It's repairable, but it's not something that people are even thinking about. And that's why I'm hoping that by releasing this data, we get people to start thinking about, yeah, what do I believe about truth? What do I believe about eternity? What do I believe about sin, about morality, about family? You know, all the issues that define who we are and how we live, that makes up your worldview. Well, it's it's time that we really got much more intentional about looking at what we believe, why we believe it, and what kind of a life it produces. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? From whom or from what or from where do I derive that belief? Um, And when I make that list, does it all make sense together? Because there's all this internal conflict in people's self-reporting. I mean, that's one of the things that you um, illuminate in this study. Um, There's just a lot of obvious places and ways where people believe deeply conflicting things. And we can't live with that kind of dissonance dissonance internally, like, right, the chronic stress it produces inside a person's body. Um, Mm -hmm. And we can't live with that kind of dissonance um, as a culture. Like, personal disintegration ultimately produces disintegration in our relationships, generation to generation, and in our culture. Like, the, the outcomes of this are not positive. Well, and Carmen, you know, people look at our culture today. They look at American society and say, wow, it's a real mess. You know, we're not united any longer. We don't know how to relate to each other. We're not sure what's going to happen. We've got a government that's doing things to us that we don't like, but we're really not changing it. You know, we're completely confused. Why is this? My contention is because every decision you make in your life comes out of your worldview. When your worldview is confused, and then you join that with the confused worldviews of 94% of other Americans, of course we're going to have a turbulent, nonsensical society where a group of elites can seize the moment and start to impose their worldview upon the rest of us. And we may feel, I don't like that. That doesn't make sense. That's not good. It's not in my best interest. It's not good for the country. But because we don't even know who we are and what we believe and what we're willing to stand up and fight for, it just goes on. Mm -hmm. And that's the situation that America's in today. The cumulative worldview of America is a mess. And there are people who are exploiting that for their own benefit. And until we get our own act together, Probably not much is going to change. Yeah, this is when I want to give the the who am I or the who are we speech and just, you know, like remind one another, you know, who we are as image bearers of the living God, people who are redeemed in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ, the ambassadors of Christ, you know, agents of grace, you know, living on purpose and for a purpose to get to the purpose question. 
Um, yeah, I think that a, a restatement of who we are as Christians in the culture and doing so in a way that's, you know, not just positive, but um, but compelling and winsome and hopefully would would draw others in as well. George, you always um, give us provocative things to think about. Um, I, you will appreciate um, knowing that I think people are, are catching on to this. I hear more and more comments about, hey, you know, we're not really living in a post-Christian America. We're like, it's like circled all the way back around. Like we live in a pre-Christian America. Like we got to start talking about some very basic and fundamental things again and make no assumptions that people have um, any even like biblical illusions or a shadow of a shadow of a shadow that they can rely on anymore. I think that's a great way to think about it, because if, if you're in a post-Christian world, then you've got a foundation to build on. And my argument here is that, you know what, we've blown up the foundation. We don't have that anymore. So we need to start from scratch. Let's be intelligent and strategic about this, but let's get to it as quickly as we can. All right. That sounds super fun, starting from scratch, doesn't it? All right. Um, George, as always, thank you so much. Next time you're here, let's talk about your book, Helping Millennials Thrive. Is that a deal? Sounds good. Thanks. All right. That's George Barna. You can find him at the Cultural Research um, Center at Arizona Christian University, arizonachristian.edu. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge. This is Faith Radio. All righty. Um, where are you in that conversation about syncretism? And whether or not, well, if you are a born-again Christian, um, where are you on your sense of God-given purpose, unique sense of purpose? Um, Does that feel like that is something that has been affected um, by the changes in society, the changes in work, um, maybe your position at work like we are not what we do and yet i mean we're not human doings we're human beings that that would be one consideration here but um i do i i think we are trapped in the what do you do like we get to that in a conversation pretty quickly um which leads us to imagine that we are what we do and we like to categorize other people by what they do because somehow it I don't know. It doesn't just give us something to talk about. Maybe it gives us a place to put people in categories. Not as a bad thing, but because that's the way our brains work and um, we need to categorize things. I don't know. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. So any feedback you've got in relationship to the conversation that we just had with George Barna or these numbers in terms of the shift since the start of the pandemic, particularly among those who describe themselves as born-again Christians, um, this shift in a sense of meaning and purpose. Do you understand that you have one, that you have a life uh, by God's design, um, that you live right now on purpose, and that God has a purpose? Is that something that you you get and you embrace or something that um, still a mystery to you. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can text me at 877-933-2484. All right, we're going to spend a few minutes um, talking about, well, we got to do the Friday Farm Report. We'll do that right when we get back. And then um, I'm going to spend a little time talking about the garden. Uh, I know that you are finally in the the spring thaw. Spring has finally sprung. Coats have been put away in many places uh, across the upper Midwest and 
into southern Canada. So we're celebrating that uh, down where I live. It's um, it's you know, it's almost summer. So we're going to talk about the gardens where we live and we're going to talk about culture itself as the garden where God puts his people. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Let's get some sun outside. Let's have some fun. Ain't nothing like them summer sounds in this quiet It's Friday. So let's do a Friday farm report. What's uh, crack a lacking where you live? What is, uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, how does your garden grow? We're going to till that soil in our conversation here in just a moment. But uh, the the Friday Farm Report, oh, you can text me answers to all those questions or anything else. Just a morning greeting at 877-933-2484. Text line open. My eyes are on it. Uh, Friday Farm Report. Okay, this is one of those dumb jokes, so I'm just going to warn you in advance. April showers, maybe Paul Perot, our producer, could weigh in on the answer to this question. Okay. April showers bring May flowers. So what do May flowers bring? One of the oldest dad jokes in the book. I know. Pilgrims, yes. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for participating. (laughs) So uh, today, um, in the month of May, where I live... Uh, brings mosquitoes, mowing, and what I will describe as chicken, the chicken relocation project. So <clears throat> my um, my latest discovery in relationship to mosquitoes, citronella plants uh, planted at the end of each row of strawberries makes it actually possible for you to pick your strawberries because otherwise you just become this like blood feast for those little vampires that are flying around. Um, citronella wristbands, which I have discovered you can wear not only on your wrists, but also on your ankles and they're stretchy. So you can put them around the brim of your hat. Um, all right. So there you go. So, um, mowing just, just constant this time of year where I live. So let me talk about the chicken relocation project that has, we have undertaken in the last several days. You will recall that several weeks ago we got eight little Sapphire gym chicks, little little baby chicks they're beautiful they're still cute um even though they're like at the like ugly junior high stage of their development um they're still cute uh these particular ones are so they um they're getting big we were keeping them in our garage in a you know very large what you would think of as black plastic uh cattle trough. That's what you would describe this thing as. <clears throat> we use it as a a place for little chicks to grow into medium-sized chicks. Like you got to have somewhere that you put them that you can uh, warm. You can warm it because it's black. You can put a, uh, a heater on the outside of it and the whole thing warms up. It's kind of cool. Anyway, they outgrew the cattle trough. They were leaping out. They were, you know, they're, they're, they're ridiculous. So um, it was time. It was time for them to graduate to the small coop. Here's the problem. You might remember that we have a little red hen who had been rejected by our flock of chickens. And so she's been living the single life in the little coop. And so we thought, well, we'll just integrate the little, the you know, these little eight little sapphire gems in with her. She can be their mama. And then when the time comes, all nine of them can be integrated back in with the full flock. And uh, she was going to have none of that and tried to peck them to death. So obviously that was not going to work. So then there's the dilemma of where we move her. 
So where could we move this one little red hen in order to move the chicks into the small coop? So we scanned the property and we settled on the little brown house. The little brown house is in the orchard. Now, I will describe it, but I can already tell you, you have already seen the little brown house. You have seen this little brown house. It was originally a playhouse for Eliana and Matthew, which now seems ridiculous because, you know, they now look me eye to eye and the little brown house is, you know, the right size for a chicken, well, or dogs. So um, we, uh, we have raised puppies in the little brown house. It has served as a dog house when the fruit is ripening and needs protection from those invading thieves, more commonly called squirrels. Uh, so it's safe. It's also inside a fenced orchard. And so uh, the little red hen has been in the little brown house now for nearly a week. She seems really happy. So the problem is solved for a few weeks until, of course, we need to move the dogs into the orchard for patrol duty. But so, you know, down the road, there's more to this story. But suffice it to say, the little chicks have successfully made the transition into their new digs, which is the little coop. And right now, all is well in the feathered quarter of the LaBerge Acres. Uh, one observa- observation about um, the wild that surrounds us. Um, it seems that either one of one of these two things is true. So either all the female deer who used to inhabit the woods around our house are now living somewhere else, or we've had no fawns this spring. So I'm I'm hoping that the girls are just living somewhere else and that for whatever reason, we don't have any baby deer this year because that seems so sad to me. But we haven't seen a female deer in months. And so we got lots of turkeys, but no deer. And I find it strange. So there you go. All right. Enough about me. Let's talk about you. What is going on in your neck of the woods? I want to know. How does your garden grow? You can text me 877-933-2484. Jessica Lally says, where can I get some garden culture merch? Jessica, there is a culture gardener t-shirt on my website, uh, CarmenLaBurge.com. There you go. There is a, yeah, it's really cute, actually. You can be a culture gardener with me. Uh, let's see. What does this friend in Ontario say? Uh, good morning from Barrie, Ontario, Canada. Love you, your enthusiasm, your worldview, and your show. Okay, well, we want to know what's going on in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I want to know what you're, are, are you in gardening zone one? That's what I want to know. Uh, where, what gardening zone are you in if you're, you know, living out there in um, what I consider, you know, the great north? Um, let's see. Uh Finally getting into the field today um, at our farm in Air, North Dakota. Pray God blesses them and all the farmers nationwide. Yes, let's do a prayer of blessing over all farmers everywhere. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for farmers everywhere. Jeff sent me a picture from Superior, rural, rural Superior. It's an asparagus sprout. It looks just like the little asparagus sprout in um in Veggie Tales. Like it, it, that's so great, Jeff. Thank you for that picture. That is just delightful. Remember the number 877-933-2484. You can get into this as well. Becky says, "Here's a picture of my grandboys planting." Uh-oh. I I don't even know how to read that. <clears throat> uh they're planting something. Uh right now they're planting pumpkins, sunflowers, tomatoes, um, thank you, Jesus, for spring. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jesus, for spring. 
Um, here's another friend, Jacqueline in Minneapolis, says, uh, I got my tomato plants, but they are not in the garden yet. Um, won't do that until after Memorial Day. Otherwise, I might have to scramble to cover them from frost. Yes, indeed. Which leads us into a conversation about gardening zones. Gardening zones. Let's talk about the zones we live in. All right. So our friend in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, lives in a different zone than I live in. Um, Obviously, Jeff, his asparagus is in. It's coming up. But tomatoes are not in the ground yet uh, where Jacqueline lives because if she put them in the ground, they would, um, you know, be subject potentially to frost. There's also this issue of the ground temperature. It's one thing, you know, to for the air temperature to be right and there'd be enough sunshine. But it's another thing for the ground temperature to be right. So gardening zone maps. For those of you not familiar with this concept, um, your planting or gardening zone is determined by what plants will grow when, where you live. So there's a when and a where to this uh, gardening zone business. So it's about the temperature of the air, and it's about the temperature of the soil, and yes, it's about the prospect of frost. Um, The further south you live in the northern hemisphere, or the further north you live in the southern hemisphere, so the closer you live to the equator would be another way to say that, um, the higher your zone number. So if you, um, like me, live in the middle part of America, um, you might be, you know, in zone five or six. I happen to live in zone six. For those of you who live right up next to or north of the Canadian border, you're number one. So if you've ever wanted to be like number one, you know, and you live in this part of the country, then you could be number one. Um, Again, I live in zone six which means that spring arrives earlier for me than it does for many of you. So if you're in Montana or North Dakota or Wisconsin or Canada, spring arrives later for you. But spring arrives later for me and earlier for you if you live in Texas or Georgia or Florida or points south. So do you know your zone? This is my question this morning. Do you know your zone? And if you don't even know your zone then how do you know when, as the writer of Ecclesiastes would put it, it's time to plant? Like, if you don't know your zone, then how do you know when it's time to sow? We are, by God's designs, gardeners. Culture is the garden where God has set us to tend in this generation. And you may think you don't have a green thumb, but that's just because we live a long way from Eden. It is in you to till the soil of the cultural conversations of the day. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk next about how we do that. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Burge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
I'm Carmen LaVerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. And I don't know, uh, maybe we have landed on a subject matter that everybody likes because the text line is is full of input. So thank you so much. There's still time for you to get in. You can text me. We're talking about what zone you're in. How does your garden grow? Uh, where are you in that process this spring? 877-933-2484. Here's a friend who says it is... Uh, still too cold in northern Minnesota to, to to plant much, but I have planted two plum trees. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about an orchard. Just talking about a garden so far. Orchard might be subject matter for a different day. That's awesome. Okay, and I've just learned a new word. Um, in Fargo, the last snurt, snow dirt, piles are finally gone. Signs of life everywhere. Rhubarb. Okay, now I'm just jealous. Lilacs, roses, columbine, bulb, oleum. Mm, God is so good. All right. Thank you so much for that. Vance has uh, texted in, Vance, is that like a crazy carrot that looks like a pair of crossed legs? Oh, my goodness. All right. That is pretty great. Forest Lake, Minnesota, checking in. Half of the corn acres are planted. Three new dairy calves born yesterday. Oh, I, I'm thrilled. Okay, I would like to see their soft little faces. And do you put your fingers in their mouth? Because that is pretty fun. If you've, I mean, I know that this person in Forest Lake has done that. But if you're listening right now, I bet Paul Perot has done this. Paul, dairy, dairy farming, isn't it kind of fun to just let a little calf suck on your fingers? Well, yeah, except I know, the, the I know they don't get anything. Really no, no, no. Them. Before they have teeth, like when they're super little. Okay, when they're super little, yeah. But after a while, I know yeah, those teeth. Come I know. Pretty quick. It's anyway. I, now there's people listening who are like, Carmen's a little weird because that sounds crazy. But if you you know don't <laughs> don't knock it until you've done it. No, All right, uh, Margaret says I tilled my garden on Monday. Hope to get a fence around it this weekend, but I need to figure out how to make a gate. The rhubarb is doing great. Margaret from Minnesota. Um, yeah. All right. Any ideas out there for Margaret's gate? Margaret, we probably need to know how high your fence how how high a fence you plan and what you plan to build the fence out of before we start recommending ways in which you could make a gate. Because I feel like people have ideas. I'm one of those who would probably just take something off of something else and attach it and use it as a gate. But people might not like that idea. All right. Uh, all right. Here we have a friend. Um, this is Stephen in Cloutier, Iowa. Cloutier, Iowa. The green beans are emerging. The tomatoes and peppers are planted and the rhubarb and asparagus are thriving. All right. I'm so I'm feeling a little jealous about the whole rhubarb asparagus um, bounty that people are um, having. I'm I'm thrilled for you. Uh, Let's see. Mary Rose says, we are in zone three. We never plant our tomatoes until well past Memorial Day. I always knew before um, the zone because my mom told me, well, yeah, but that's because your mom knew this. She like had an old farmer's almanac or she knew an old farmer. There you go. We can get frost in Minnesota until the second week of June and often cover our tomato plants in those first weeks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Here is somebody uh, texting in from zone Four A and B. Uh huh. Uh huh. I love those pictures. Thank you so much. Is that like a mushroom crop? Look at that crazy thing. Or are those butterflies? All right. I think those are mushrooms. Uh huh. I love the pictures you guys are sending in. That's so fun. Um, let's see. Jim in Simsbury, Connecticut says, "Well, we are at peak bear activity this week." <laughs> okay. That's a different story. 
Peak bear activity this week. Um, saw a, a huge one last week, and then two teenagers came in on Monday, so we watched them wrestle each other. Tuesday, a mom and her cub climbed a small oak and ate all the young leaves and broke the branches. Okay, well, mm-hmm. we have that problem Um yeah, with our uh, with our little orchard trees in Georgia, and so we've we've stopped even trying to grow fruit down there. Wednesday brought a mom and her four cubs, who my seventeen pound dog treed. <laughs> wow. Okay, first of all, four cubs—that is a real bear mama right there. And then um, a friend in Texas saying, "Texas Zone Seven checking in." My husband planted our tomatoes and our bell peppers about a month ago. There you go. Okay, I love it. Now let's talk a little bit. Um, let's pivot from gardening to um, to culture gardening, like real gardening, home gardening, by the way, booming worldwide. Lots of people like rediscovered um, gardening during the pandemic. Maybe you've been enjoying it, you know, in an ongoing way, but lots and lots of people, actually 18.3 million new gardeners worldwide in just the last uh, couple of years. Most of them are millennials, but that's also because, like, it's the largest population, uh, uh, generational crowd um, in the world. So 42% of us um, spend some time gardening, and 55% of American households engage in gardening activities. So that's that's most of us, right? Um, and so when you think about gardening, you've actually, like, hit upon something that a lot of people can talk about, obviously, you know, evidenced by all of the engagement on the text line this morning. Thank you for checking in, by the way. Um, But this also means it gives us an opportunity as Christians to easily, easily start a conversation with other people about tilling the soil and about planting the seeds and about watering and waiting and praying and watching um, and, and then celebrating the harvest and all to the glory of God. And so you have the opportunity to talk about the yield from your own spiritual garden, the spiritual fruit being produced, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these, there you know there is no law. Like, this is what God wants to see flourish in our lives. That's from Galatians 5, if you want to check it out. Um, and then it's an opportunity for us as Christians to, like, look ourselves in the mirror and say, how many times in the past year have I intentionally, intentionally, shared the good news of the gospel with another person, have I actually planted the seed? Like, am I actually being a culture gardener? Am I planting the seed of God's word and the hope of Christ in the world around me, in the conversations that I'm having with other people? Statistically, by the way, um, children who are involved in growing vegetables are more willing to eat them so that's a, a you know, like scientific fact. <clears throat> children involved in if children involved in vegetable gardening are more willing to eat vegetables. Guess what? The same holds true in the spiritual life. Children who are raised by adults who are engaged in cultivating spiritual conversations, children raised in spiritually engaged households, more likely to ingest the word of God, be possessed of the spirit of God, walk by faith as adults. So how does your garden grow? And how does your spiritual garden grow? God expects us to be culture gardeners. Maybe it's time to get out there and till the soil of the conversations of the day and plant the seed of the word of God 
and water it with the living water. And then, yeah, celebrate the harvest of righteousness that God brings forth to his own glory. Let's be tender tenders today of the culture garden where God has set us in this generation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, uh, Margaret um, has said that the fence that she's constructing, uh, at least two and a half feet high, likely a wired fence that I can attach chicken wire to. She's doubling up there, maybe. Um, so what would be the best fence to keep rabbits out? Oh, yeah. I um, Well, first of all, it has to be really secure to the ground because it's, it's all about what they can get under. Um, if you're using chicken wire, they can't get through it, but bunnies can get under almost anything. They can squeeze their little bodies down flat, almost like a mouse. So it's about getting that super secure to the ground. Um, your chicken wire will work fine for that. Um, so she says, I like your idea for a gate. Maybe just use a leftover door. I think that's what I must have texted her. Yes. Leftover doors make great gates. And if your, um, if your fence is only two and a half feet high, then just cut the door in half, like make it a half door. Um, screen doors actually work great for this as well. Um, uh, and um, if you're going to use a solid door, then, you know, paint it, like paint a garden scene on there. Or if you got a bunny problem, you know, paint a wolf on there. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. I don't actually know that that would work, but it was an idea that came to my mind, which, of course, I feel obligated to share. Um, how much is the word of God worth to you? Here is one quick story. I think we talked a few weeks ago um, about the fact that the most complete codex of the Hebrew Bible um, was going to be on sale. It's up for auction, uh, expected to fetch some $50 million. And so my question today is, what is the Word of God worth to you? What is it worth to you that you have the Word of God? And if it's that valuable to you, how valuable is it to others? Maybe that would motivate us to share it. If you've been thinking, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I, if people really want this. Well, don't you want it? And if it's valuable to you, don't you think it would be valuable to others? Let's be sharing the word of God today for all it's worth. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.